Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. How are you all doing this week? I hope that you're well. I hope you enjoyed Steve Backshall as much as I loved speaking to him. Such a great storyteller. Oh, and this week I had a a really unforgettable travel experience that uh, I couldn't recommend more for a special treat. A lot of you probably already seen this on my Instagram. I've had so many messages from me about it. I was invited for the day on the Belmont British Pullman. So the Belmont British Pullman is such a historic train, the same company that owned the Orient Express. And they were launching a new train carriage, which was designed by Wes Anderson, the iconic film director. So, you know, Wes is known for his distinctive aesthetic and you can see that throughout this carriage. Oh, it's stunning. Very symmetrical, of course, with pastel pink ceilings and then this rich green detailing on the carpets and chairs and amazing wooden marquetry all the way around. It really feels like you're stepping onto one of his film sets. So the journey starts at Victoria station in London and it's a round trip but we went on a tour of the Kent coast and it reminded me of Tom Kerridge's episode back in season two where he chose the North Kent coast as his hidden gem because all these stops that we were going past were places that he mentioned so it reminded me I need to go back there and and try all those amazing seafood restaurants that he told us about if you haven't listened to that episode that was one of my my favorites back back at the beginning of the podcast there's a real sense of occasion about the whole thing you're served a five course meal so decadent and it was just lovely to kind of come together for a bit of a celebratory feel so a big thank you to Belmont for inviting me and goodness that would be the perfect Christmas present for the right someone okay on to today's guest she is a number one best-selling author one of the UK's most successful fiction authors she's the host of happy mum happy baby the chart-topping podcast which she's her interview celeb guests about the highs and lows of parenting she and her husband Tom Fletcher from the band McFly have a huge YouTube presence where they perform together and she's I'm a celebrity get me out of his reigning champion the queen of the castle it is the multi multi-talented Giovanna Fletcher. So G has been traveling since a very young age as her dad is Italian. So she tells us about her annual trips to visit her family in Italy and what that meant to her. She and Tom are kind of obsessed with Disney and she brings to life the magic and joy of holidays at the Disney parks. And much of her new book is also inspired by travel by the country of Peru. So we talk about that. We also cover her love of trekking, her advice about traveling with three young kids and what it was like to interview Kate Middleton for her podcast and the whirlwind of press that came after. All that and so much more coming up on The Travel Diaries. Giovanna Fletcher, welcome to The Travel Diaries podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been an interesting one because obviously 
I've I've listened to the podcast. Oh, um, I know some of the the questions that will be asked, uh, and and, uh, and so in prep, I've kind of been going, oh yes, I must, I love that place, and then oh no no no, but what about this place? And I've literally just before coming on going, what about the whole of Australia? I <laughs> <Like>, oh gosh, <laughs> it's too excited. It's always as hard as pick, like it's like picking between your children, but pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> now it looks like you are speaking to me at like an epic kind of Christmas grotto. Where are you? I'm actually, I'm in my new office. So we've just moved. And ah. um, yeah, it's been quite a, quite a big job. Um, but uh, we have an outdoor space now for our office, which is lovely because for the last seven years, we've been trying to write and everything in the house with the kids there, which is amazing because, you know, you're at home working. But, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of writing a, a, an important scene or a chapter and then someone comes in to ask you uh, to ask you for a snack or you know <laughs> for something really simple you're kind of like oh yeah get torn away a bit so uh yeah now I have my own sort of creative space that's uh, essentially a barn that's beautiful I can't believe that you just told me that you've moved house because I was literally about, about to open the podcast by saying how busy you must be <laughs> you've got a new novel out your husband <laughs> Tom is on Strictly Come Dancing yeah three kids yeah. under six is it? Uh, seven. Three seven kids under number, seven. Yeah. I mean, how are you holding up? I'm so tired right now. <laughs> Plus, last night we decided to take them to see Back to the Future, the musical. Oh, wow. Um, so it was a late night, um, you know, by the time you get home and everyone's back in bed. Uh, so I am quite frazzled. Interestingly, though, Tom said the other day we sat down having breakfast and he was like, you know, this house move has been really seamless. I'm like, because you weren't here, you didn't see any of it happen. Um, but it is interesting because we were in one house for 16 years and suddenly moving. Um, I think the idea of it felt quite daunting when it, and, and emotional, emotional. It was really emotional because mm. we'd done everything there. You know, mm. we'd grown up, we'd had uh, got married there, had kids. Um, but actually, this is our home now. It's amazing how your mind quickly shifts adapts I guess. Did you move to a new area? It's about 20 minutes away from where we were mm. but closer for the school run. The school run was was the thing that was that, that meant really that things had to change a little bit just because we spent so much of our time in the car yeah. and the kids get so um, tired. Not tired like um, like what's it called? Restless. They don't get tired at all. <laughs> they get restless. <laughs> they so never get tired. They never get tired. <laughs> literally these boys when they wake up in the morning they are literally you hear the first breath and then that's it. It's like they fill up their lungs for the day and then they are off. Um, yeah. So if the first fight hasn't happened by half past six in the morning, I mean, you know, that's that's not a day. Really? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. All this to come one day. Honestly, they can't walk past each other without a fist flying out a foot fl- for no reason. You're just like, okay, okay. Let okay. me just go hang out in my office. We're going to mentally <laughs> transport ourselves to somewhere Please do. far away. Maybe times, yes. pre-kids, who knows? <laughs> A journey through these seven chapters of your life's travel diaries. And we're going to go all the way back to your childhood for chapter one, which is your earliest childhood travel memory. So when I was younger, um, so my dad's Italian, fully Italian. He moved over here when he was 19. Um, and as a result of that, most summers we would go well, we went every summer, but for the majority of the summer, we would go over to Italy to a little place called Valva, which is near Naples. It's actually in Campania. And um, it is just the most magical place. So there, there was actually a, a huge earthquake over there about 40 years ago. And it meant that for the first um, 15 years of us going over there, they were actually living in this temporary accommodation that had been up for quite some time. It had been, it, I, it went up, it was up for about 20 years. 
that they were living in mm. in the, this temporary accommodation, wow. which was like big concrete slabs on the bottom and then wooden sort of chalets on the top. Limited water supply, like you'd get water for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, often cold. Uh, you'd have to walk up the mountains for your water, your drinking water. But it was just the most magical place in so many ways because it was stripped back of all the stuff that you would have at home. It was all about play. It was all about being outside. It was all about creativity and imagination. And um, yeah, and we used to drive there and we used to never tell Nonna uh, when we were going to be arriving. So you had that big drive where, you know, we'd be literally, we would be sat in the back of the car. I'd have a cool box on the bottom of my legs. So I'd have to sit cross-legged the whole drive to Italy. <laughs> I think we flew um, once, but we had bad ears. Plus, because we were there for quite some time, it made sense to drive. Well, Plus, we used drive, to bring back eh? a lot of wine. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, not for us kids, but, you know, for... <laughs> for uh, but actually, to be honest, we did used to have a little bit of wine. But that's such an Italian thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we used to sit in the back of the car. Me and Georgia used to play... Uh, my, me and my sister used to play the sort of head tennis with Mario's head for most of the journey because we didn't want him leaning on us. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and then we used to drive... And and it wasn't like the the roads were really quite windy. It's not like the big motorway systems that there are now. But it was always yeah. It's so funny th th those little things that you suddenly remember, like getting to ca to Calais and um, you know all the the lights and the things that you were about to get on the boat or the way back and stuff. All those little things and those sounds and those noises getting on the boat and um, yeah, it was even the drive there was quite exciting. And I, I seem to remember us only ever having three tapes in the car and they were Billy Ocean, um, Tina Turner, both best, oh, all but three best of Billy Ocean, Tina Turner and Bananarama. And we used to sing them as much as possible until dad eventually pulled out the traditional Italian music and we would have to listen to that while going around the mountains. <laughs> so what was it like? So you say it's mountainous, like when you, yeah. what, what did it look like? What did it feel like when you finally made it there? Well, it was all quite um, rough and ready, I guess, compared to the world that we were living in back home. Although, you know, we used to, we lived in Barkinside. It was quite a sort of a, a built up area, but, you know, cars everywhere. And I, I don't know, Italy is a very different vibe, like especially there. It's all about food and socializing and drinking and community and family um, view wise you'd literally there's mountain there's houses that are literally they don't look like they should be sitting where they are um they're you just know, perched they're, they're just perched yeah. yeah and you go and as you're driving through it's like there's there's these mountains where there's nothing other than at the top of the mountain obviously because of the the snow and everything like that that comes but yeah just these different villages that sit on top of these mountains that are all so spread apart and I find it really fascinating as well the dialect even within those places because they have such a strong dialect whereas if you were to go to the next village especially years ago you know there'd, there'd be a different a definite um language barrier almost of how really? uh, people speak yeah and all the little uh, ways that um, people might even just say how are you and things like that you know it's uh, it would m mean nonsense to another village wow. um, yeah and and so when we used to when we used to arrive when we were younger all these sort of temporary houses were in rows up a mountain and there'd be these big concrete like slab type st uh, steps going between them that you'd have to go up to get the water when you're going up the mountains and, and that's the thing I guess for us kids we were allowed to do things like go up to the mountains and get water mm. you know so we'd take our 
oh god the water what was the water carrier thing called i don't know our little container um and uh, and we go up there and, I, and it's just simple things like going past the farms and the dogs barking and the chickens and seeing the geckos and the lizards and whatever else there is um it felt very different to life back home and there was this huge football pitch this was our most the most part like the funnest part one of the fun parts but our time there was this huge football pitch that I think it was built for um, Italian uh, the 1990 uh, games, mm-hmm. football games. And um, was that the Euros? Possibly the Euros. <laughs> and, um, uh, but it was, you know, it was all quite broken down and quite unused. But we used to just go round and round that and just sing and make up songs and things like that. Oh, so, yeah, it is that so thing. Fair. If you had that freedom of of um people knowing where you were especially in a little village like that like everyone knew that there were people around they knew who we were related to um you know uh yeah and there's this great thing about um being there as well where because everyone was so close housewise in proximity um they would just shout at each other they'd shout at the houses you know <laughs> so there's just this constant noise and you'd, you'd think that people would be, were like angry at each other for anything and that dad would be like no no, no they're just saying do you want some potatoes like, oh okay <laughs> it's all good <laughs> but I know what you mean about like when you were saying about you didn't tell your nonna that you were going to arrive and that kind mm. of excitement like my grandma also lived in a another country and in the US and and, and going over there at a part mm. of the school holidays that you know that was such an important part of my identity and like yeah. and still is like that 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 was where I went and that was where we had the special bond and and also your your mum is Argentinian is that right no that's not true is that on that's Wikipedia I think that's a Wikipedia it's on Wikipedia, Wikipedia. yeah no my my mum is born and bred in Essex um <laughs> I was like so tell me about Argentina <laughs> sorry no yes no she's not I don't even know I think that's probably an Argentinian McFly fan who uh, has just claimed my mum so um, but no my mum uh, doesn't look Argentinian in the slightest she's blonde with uh, blue eyes um, but no she grew up in Essex so uh, yeah for, and even for her like traveling away anywhere that that didn't happen at all so um, I think having a husband that was from a, a different place was quite uh, a strange thing um, for her as well. And was your Italianness like an important part of you? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It felt something um, I've always been really, really proud of. And when you go over there, and you and and a large part of it is when you go over there and you see how the community works together, and how you know all the all the older people within the community they get looked after. You know, they've got a constant stream of visitors, whether that's nephews or cousins. You know, they're they're constantly the people are coming over to drop off food that they've grown or you know just just checking in and and you know you never go you go somewhere and there's always stuff offered whether it's just a very nurturing environment you know it's people like to see people they like to make people happy they like to make people feel welcome uh, and even us you know we ne- we I don't speak Italian properly you know I, I speak a little bit but I'm not I wouldn't be able to hold a, a good conversation but you know they they everyone still included us and we spend most of our time going, what do they say, Dad? What do they say, Dad? <laughs> but, you know, so it does that typical thing where everyone just speaks a lot louder at you <laughs> saying the same thing. And you speak back um, with an Italian accent in English. That's what I always do. <laughs> so chapter two is mm-hmm. the first place that you fell in love with. It's got to be Paris. Oh, the city yeah. of love. Yeah. Well, I'd been there. 
I'd been there before on an art trip at school um, when I was in sixth form and I absolutely loved it. Um, loved every single thing about it. Um, but then there was a summer where uh, Tom and the McFly guys had, they randomly, randomly had 10 days off, which back then was just, it just didn't happen. Um, so um, me and Tom decided to go to Paris and all the other boys were um, with their partners. They decided to go to the Caribbean and me and Tom were like, no, we're going to go to Paris and we're going to have this fun time. And, you know, we'll go to, uh, to Disneyland Paris as well. It'd be amazing. And, um, and I can remember getting there being a bit like, oh, we have, we made the wrong decision, but it was the best thing ever. Just, just the fact that you can walk everywhere, soak everything up. And we did go in August as well. So, you know, it, and it is a lot like Italy in the sense that people just that are from there just leave. Like mm. shops are, certain shops are shut, certain things just aren't available. But there was just this ease about it, you know, as you might have already gathered, I'm all about food and wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're just enjoying those meals and just milling around, taking in the art and and the spontaneity of it. And and I didn't, I think that was probably my first holiday that I'd been on where there were things to do. I think before that, my idea of a holiday would be sun lounger, beach. Fly and flop. Yeah, exactly. Like just switch me off right now. But it was it was so much fun going around and and soaking up as much of the city as possible mm. um you know uh yeah just and also just having no schedule and just kind of going well where do we want to go what do we what do we want to see and trying things out like we even spent one day i think we'd just been reading oh it could be the da vinci code or angels and demons i can't remember one of dan brown's books yeah. that has about the um meridian line mm-hmm. and about how paris tried to get it at some point um, with these rows i think they're like brass rose things that are in a line across the city so we spent a day <laughs> just going around and seeing how many of them we could find so, that's so fun though isn't it like getting really like immersed in a city like getting really yeah. under your skin like just also not feeling like you have to tick off tons of stuff you were just focusing on one element of it which is really yeah. nice Although we we did we were out on um, well in London they'd be called Boris bikes but the bikes that you just kind of hire and take out and I I realised I probably hadn't been on a bike for about ten years before that and mm-hmm. I, I don't care what they say it's not like riding a bike I am not very good <laughs> at riding those bikes literally going through the Parisian traffic feeling so wobbly on this bike just that seeing where sort of life takes you and. I guess, the, oh, oh, can we be that spontaneous now without kids? Because um, I th- I feel like, you know how sometimes you can over-romanticise things in your head when you're looking back at them? Totally. But, but I can remember even in the moment, like that that was such a special holiday for us. And then, because we're big Disney fans, um, we went to um, Disneyland Paris. And how old were you guys then, would you say? Oh, uh, we would have been about 21, uh, I want to say. Like such a good age. Because for, for the listeners who might not know... Um, you and Tom have been together since you were at school. Yes, yes. So how we long 13. has it been? Thirteen. Oh um, well, so we met when we were thirteen, and we went out for a couple of days. Then he dumped me for his ex-girlfriend. Oh, um, I'm, I'm not bitter. It's like okay. I'm over it. I'm over it's it. still it was, the first you know. line of the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was 23, 24 years ago, but I'm over it. I'm over it. Um, and uh, <laughs> and um, and then um, yeah, we went out. For, we've basically been together since we were eighteen. Uh, so I'm now 36 yeah amazing. yeah 
So you, yes. so you in your early twenties in, in, in mm-hmm. Disneyland, and that I mean, what what fun! I mean, I I always, I've been trying to get my husband to come with me to Disney Disneyland or Disney World because yeah, I mean, it is fun fun to just go whatever age you are. Exactly, it's so much fun. And I, so my parents, we always said that we would go because we went to Italy every summer, obviously because we had family over there. But you'd see adverts for like Disney World, whether that's Paris or Florida or even LA on telly, and you kind of be like, oh, can we go? can we go um um you know that's what the, the plan was always to go at a certain time and then mum and dad unfortunately separated um so we didn't go <laughs> uh but going there as an adult you know I can remember so actually going to Florida when I was um oh I went to Florida when I was 21 so Paris must have been about 23 but with the Fletchers so with Tom's family and it just be the most magical place like age is not a thing when you hit Disney again it's about soaking up that environment and that magic and and that creativity and the imagination every single thing around you is so well thought through even the point like to the point of bins bins like aren't just bins they are a thing that might do something mm-hmm. or you know every everything every element is is um magical so another world uh, isn't it just another it world. is completely yeah, and I think unless you've been there, it's re- it's because it's not a theme park. It's not like anything that we have over here at all. So uh, yeah, it is the most magical thing. So to go to Paris, you know, as part of our Paris trip, to go to um, Disneyland Paris, it felt like having a little piece of what we love over in Florida, but a lot closer. And we have since actually taken the kids to Disneyland Paris, and I've got to say, it, they absolutely loved it. Oh, so um, just so for a little. Yeah, just for yeah. a little piece of it, but without the flights, being a little bit closer to home. Disney do stuff that just simply other people just can't, in my opinion. Favourite ride? Oh, I do love um, Rock and Roller Coaster. Simply because there's something when you're on it. for me, And I don't know, I really felt it last time we were there. I think I had, I'd had the three kids, um, you know, you're still juggling with nap times and feed times and all of that stuff. I think I was still breastfeeding the last time we actually went. And um, I got on this ride, this Aerosmith ride. And, you know, Dude Looks Like Lady is uh, playing, like pumping around you and just going on these loops and everything. I just felt ridiculously free. And I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but just this, just kind of like just enjoying it for that minute or however long it is, just feeling like you are completely in this and just screaming your head off and laughing yeah. whilst Steven Tyler sings in your ear. It's amazing. <laughs> so- Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. 
It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Fun. So when did you fall in love with writing? Because it was really shortly after you finished school that you were snapped up with a book deal. Well, it probably looks like that now, but um, so I started writing, the first thing I ever wrote was a silly book that was just for us called Days of McFly um, is for dummies. <laughs> and um, uh, no, day, yeah, Days of McFly for dummies, but I'd put the is in it. And um, uh, so my husband is in a band called McFly. Uh, and it was kind of, um, it kind of looked at all the different rules, I guess, and regulations around, around being a, a girlfriend and, um, and all the things that you should comply to or the things that you can do wrong. And it was just a very silly <laughs> little thing like simply like little tiny simple things so, like, so tell me some of the rules yeah well when you get on a tour bus after a show don't go and get your favorite sandwich don't like, don't go and get the sandwich first let them get it because they've just been on stage and you know they they, they are uh, going to be knackered they, they need fuel we don't we've probably been snacking for the last two hours <laughs> uh, so just let them do things like that first to be honest I've got to dig it out because I've got to have it somewhere here but that that was my first sort of thing of actually getting pen down to paper or starting typing out uh, on, on the keys and I, I only use three or four fingers it turns out to type but it's working I'm 12 books in it's fine <laughs> um, but uh, yeah so before that I'd been at drama school and acting and uh, it all just got quiet and so I was doing things like that to kind of fuel my creativity and to just keep keep my brain alive uh, and then um, a magazine got in touch and they were kind of like we know you're writing um, would you like to come and get some work experience here so I started doing that started doing their book reviews then I met an agent and um, and she and she just said to me have you ever thought about uh, writing fiction uh, because at that point I had a blog and I was like well it's a nice idea but I love reading books but I just don't know if I'd be good at writing them. And uh, she was like, well, let me know if you need any advice or anything, if you if it's something you think about. And I just met an author one day who was just, and I didn't say anything about the idea of even writing to her, but she just said how um, when she um, tells anyone that she's an author, people say, oh, I'd love to write. Oh, if I could do anything, I'd love to write a book. I've got a really good idea. I'd love to write. And she just said, she always say to them, says to them, we'll just do it. Because it's definitely one of those things, unless you start, you, unless you sit down and actually get those words out, get those ideas down, 
that nothing can happen. And not only that, you don't even know if you like it. Mm. It might be one of those experiences that actually in the, the idea of doing it is all romantic in your head and you're going to be sat there with your hot drink and, you know, I don't know, up in the mountains in a chalet kind of just <laughs> typing away. But the reality of it might be quite different. Mm. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to just try it. So I came out with these three different summaries, picked one, started writing. And when I got to about 16,000 words, I sent it to this agent. And she was like, I think we should let's do this. Let's, let's absolutely do this. So it was about a year later, after many rejection letters, I've got to say as well, um, that Penguin decided to give me a two book deal. And I would say the first book was an absolute joy to write because you're doing so without any expectation Mm -hmm. on yourself or from other people. You just trust in the process a bit more I think well no I think now I, I still do but I think that first book is it's like any pregnancy really before anything goes wrong it's um you have there's a nice naivety about it you just you just go into it and you want to tell a story before there's any sort of complications or technical aspects involved and then second book you're kind of like oh my gosh you know how the first book was a fluke what is this they're going to ask me my my, my mon- their money back and I've already turned it into bookshelves like what am I going to do um and did you did you speak to Tom about that because it's almost like a second album isn't it like you know the pressure of having a, a- great debut it album absolutely is it's exactly the same thing uh, and thankfully by that point um on twitter there was a great um team of um authors who um who were just there and and for me as well coming from an acting background where it was case it's literally a case of either you've got the part or i've got the part or they've got the part it's, there's no i don't know it felt more like a dog eat dog world whereas with book world people were like well if you write a book that gets people reading then they might read my books you know so it's a bit more nurturing i guess in that way and the friendships there uh, so I, I was talking to a lot of authors on uh, on twitter and stuff and it was amazing interestingly so tom obviously uh, now writes so he approaches things in a very different way and I try not to, we try not to work too much in the same time, same place um, at the same time because uh, he can just type a lot quicker than I can and he gets his words in a lot quicker and uh, and I'm just sat there, you know, pondering over a sentence, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> wondering what word to use. And also Tom tries to kill off all of my characters he all does. of all the time. He does. He does. Is this what we're reading I... drafts or? Well, yeah. So when I talk through ideas, yeah. he's like, and then she can die. <laughs> And uh, so and so has got to do, and I'm like, no, stop trying to kill them off every time. What do you think that's about? I don't know. I think maybe because he writes children's books, Very dramatic. And, uh, there's less death. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> but we'll put it all in mind. We'll come. We'll come back to your newest book in a moment. But let's first pause there and uh, discover chapter three, which is Lovely. the place where you learn the most about yourself. Well, interestingly, I would say Peru, uh-huh. um, which is actually where the next book is uh, is set for part of it. Uh, so it was about 12 years ago that my sister was traveling around South America and um, my dad and, uh, and my stepmom had arranged to go over and meet her to do the Laris Trek. So it's instead of the Inca Trail, it's this, this trek is um, a little more off the beaten track if you like although it's a, it is a path but you're going through sort of very uh, remote places in terms of villages and stuff uh, and by it's not even villages you'll go past the odd farm so whereas the Inca Trail has something like 500 people on it a day we saw no people whatsoever other than our group and the locals um, who might be on the on the track kind of taking food back and forth or whatever that they'd been uh, working on um, amazing 
Yeah, that sounds so, like a real uh, hidden gem then to have like a, that alternative kind of experience there. Oh, well, what's interesting is it was 12 years ago, so it might have changed a little bit, but um, absolutely. And I think we only did it, we only went on that trek because the Inca Trail was um, fully booked. But it turned out that it was just us and our Sherpas and our guides. And yeah, it was just just us. So you're not having to negotiate, you know, the other people around you or other groups. Yeah, so it, it, it yeah, and then just that space. And I think that's why I love the treks that I do now. So I do treks now with Copperfield. So this year we've been to Cornwall and to Scotland. We've been to the Himalayas. Uh, we've been to Amman. Um, and it's just that feeling of when you're outside, and you are trekking. So all you can focus on really is putting one foot in front of the other and where you are. There's just something so freeing in that, you know, thoughts come and go. You are able to process things that maybe you can't in an everyday world because we're constantly on the go. We've constantly got to go from A to B or we've got a to-do list that's so long that you have to, you know, start crossing things off and it's never finished. So there is something amazing about being on trips like that that just cut you off mm. you know we didn't have signal for most of it and uh, and even that it's 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 disconnecting isn't it it's, it's it's going offline for a bit and I imagine a really intimate way of connecting with your family as well because of that yeah yeah exactly um, and it's not all plain sailing you know you'd have the odd squabble and over silly stuff or you'd be tired and people would take forever to get their ponchos out of their bag and or then they'd go start walking then they'd realize they need a snack so they need to take everything off so they can get the snack out and oh no now the shoes are undone oh actually I might take the bottom of my trousers down and put them and turn them into shorts like all these things you're just kind of like let's go <laughs> so it is still I guess a little bit frustrating in that sense but you achieve something as a team, you know, and that is something that that Peru taught me absolutely is that um, when you're on treks like that, you can be the fastest person if you want, but the trek's not over until everyone's finished. So work as a team, be together, because the, the reward from that is just so is just far greater. So yeah, so for me, Peru is a magical place in that sense of of what it gave us, and it just, I guess, ultimately, it just gave us space to be, which uh, was. Yeah, highly rewarding. And so then you re-entered the world of Peru in your amazing new book, yeah, Walking on Sunshine. Yeah. Um, yes. So what 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 made you decide to return there? And was it nice to re-enter that that country and and, Absolutely. and transport yourself there? When I imagine you probably weren't able to travel at all. Was that was it? During, no, yeah, no. Yeah. And it's really interesting actually writing a book during a pandemic because you. Because on the one you're like, do, do I reference that for these characters or do I keep it as what everyone needs when they go to books and, and it's escapism? You know, there are books that are going to have COVID as on this, this, this time as part of their story. Do I want to be that? Especially when things are forever changing. Yeah. So if you were to put it in fiction, it would be out of date straight away. So I decided that they were still traveling and everything was, you know, as it was once was. Um, and I almost changed location at some point as well. Um, but, but for me, Peru, there was something about the fact that they could, it was somewhere that they could go where it was just them and their guides as well. So they, so they, although they, they are with, um, the other, so basically the first couple of days, they are with the people who are, uh, going to be doing the Inca trail. So there is that bigger group dynamic. I wanted it to go back down to these three friends because ultimately they have all come to a part in a part in life where they're kind of going, is this it? You know, someone's just got engaged, which should be amazing because she's seen everyone around her have that sort of 
that that chronological order that we all think we have to be in where you get ma- you meet someone you move in together you get married you have children and she's just got engaged and she thought that's what she's she's always wanted but suddenly those sort of nerves creep in that doubt that kind of actually I'm never going to go on a first date again. I'm never going to have that first spark with anyone else. This is it forever. Um, so re- the realization of that, you know, is this it? Then you've got the mum who's kind of on that sort of hamster wheel of everything's always chaotic. Everything's always on her, her mother load. Um, you know, she doesn't recognize herself compared to the woman that she once was. So again, she's sort of going, is this it? Is this my life of forever? And then you've got Mike who was married to Pia, who sadly just passed away. And he has had the love of his life and um, and lost her, you know, and she's no longer with him. So he's consumed with his grief and this emptiness and loneliness and this guilt and anger. And, uh, and again, he's kind of thinking, is this it? And they're all going through these different things. We're not really communicating it. Mike, obviously, because they all knew Pia, um, they're all best mates. Um, I guess Mike's journey is probably the most obvious between them that they all recognize the fact that he's going through something whereas the women um probably is a little bit less discovered until they get to peru but yeah so ultimately this this trip is all about them stepping out of their comfort zones uh, so that they can um process the different things that they are going through in life and it's kind of representative isn't it of how travel experiences can be life-changing Yes, absolutely. Which is funny. I, I think it's that thing that we get, we just simply get stuck in a rut and we have to step outside of it sometimes to to be able to evaluate and and to realise that maybe things have to change. I don't think any of us, well, I think the majority of us will come home from a trip, especially if it's um, a more active trip where you're seeing parts of a country or culture and we adapt in certain ways whether that's, um, you know, every time I go to Italy, the the pace is just so much slower. Mm-hmm. You've got people just enjoying, you know, a cup of coffee together in the afternoon. It's very sociable. People are standing, standing and chatting to each other. And um, every time I come back, you're kind of like, that is what life's about. Like these people who 40 years ago had their homes completely knocked down. They've had their village rebuilt around them at a, such a slow pace, but they know what, life that they know what's important and it's that bond it's looking after each other it's nurturing um so i you know that that is probably um the biggest lesson i've ever taken away from italy for for sure but i think when you go to those places that is what makes it life-changing so Mm. and i and i guess it I, I imagine if you go on a beach holiday and you're listening to loads of podcasts and or reading books, it can have the same effect because you are stopping. You're you're enabling yourself to 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 soak up all these other things that maybe you don't have time for in everyday life. Yeah, very um, true. And giving yourself so, another way of having mental space headspace exactly exactly which we don't we just simply don't have time for if you're if you're just doing all the things that you do at home. But yeah, I, I do think that time away. Is and what I think we've all realised in the last um, year and a half that it doesn't need to be getting on a plane. No, you know it, you can do that for, by staying in the UK as well. Yeah, so um, I was at Three Mile Beach in Cornwall, oh, and I heard this that you was were my there. hidden gem. No, okay, this okay, is my hidden okay, gem. We'll come on to Three Mile Beach in a moment. Then, <laughs> well, first of all, we'll do Chapter Four, which is your okay. all-time favourite destination. Oh, all-time favorite destination has to be Walt Disney World. In Florida. And I was torn in Florida. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I was torn between there 
and Antigua, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go with Walt Disney World just because as a family now um, as well, I think it was always magical before. And also for Tom's family. So Tom's family used to save up for around two years and they'd go on their trip to Disney, uh, to Florida. They used to stay on international drive, so not in a Disney ho- hotel. Uh, they used to save up and only be able to go there for one day and they'd have to cram everything in. And um, And now when we go, you know, we're able to stay in a Disney hotel and be in like park hopping for two weeks. And, and it is just, so I think it's always an emotional thing because we know how much it means to the Fletchers, like to all of them. Um, we know how much being there used to mean, and it still means, um, so yeah, I, and I guess that's why I say it's not just a theme park. It, it's more for for us. It holds so many memories as well. Like we went there on our honeymoon. Did you? Um, yeah. Wow. So we went to actually. So we went to um, St Lucia. We went to Jade Mountain in St Lucia, oh, which lovely. is amazing. Like it's just the uh, it's just idyllic. You know, you're you've got no fourth wall in your bedroom, which makes it sound quite theatrical and stagey. But there's no fourth wall. You've got um, a water um, like an infinity pool. Uh, so every morning we were woken up like with the sunrise and diving into the pool. That's what we did first thing. Oh, uh, and then went down to breakfast. Like it was absolutely gorgeous. And then, so that was the first, uh, I think we were on a three week honeymoon. So that, that was the first 10 days. We literally did nothing but read books and chill out. And then um, the second half of it was Disney World and it was absolutely chaotic and wonderful. So we went there on our honeymoon. Then um, we were surprising Tom's parents. So they were going over there um, just as them two. Again, so the kids were grown up, but they were like, we're going to go over and just soak it up. Uh, And me and Tom ended up surprising them for four days. But the day before we flew out, uh, the morning of the day we flew out, I uh, took a pregnancy test just in case just in case so I know before getting on the flight and uh, and I was I found out I was pregnant uh so walking around Disney you know knowing that you know I'm I'm growing a life uh, yeah so that made it really magical and then subsequently going back with our children so it just holds so many great memories and um you know uh, happy feelings, um, which so actually I, I have actually just made a podcast with um, yes. tra- uh, Walt Disney Travel Company. My big um, competitor now in the travel oh, category. Yeah. <gasps> yes. I'm so sorry. It's okay. You're, <laughs> the season is complete now. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You'll be back up there. It's fine. Um, but just seeing how um, what that place means to people, you know, Davina McCall in her episode, she literally she cried before we even started recording. Before we even started, before we even started recording, then I literally had to say one thing about the place, and she was bawling her eyes out <laughs> because it means, um, you know, there there is this innocence uh, that comes with it that is yeah, just magical. Yeah, complete. I completely agree. And kind of thinking about childhood, I mean, and and, and ch- having children, happy mum, happy baby, podcast phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Nearly 16 million <laughs> downloads um, with three young ones. You know, what is, have you found a winning formula um, for travel? Like, or, or is it just being tired somewhere else, as some people say? <laughs> <laughs> I was really, um, when I first heard that about the same, uh, different locations, same rubbish or same, you know, stuff. Uh, I think it was a swear word. I won't use it. Um, I was, um, I was a bit like, oh no, that's sad, isn't it? But actually, it's not that at all. Um, obviously, the flight. So my first experience of getting on a plane 
was with Buzz um, when he was 10 months old. Um, and actually, this is my second experience, but this is the, the biggest one, I guess, because I flew him to Australia on my own because Tom was touring with McBusted and they were supporting um, One Direction. So they were over in Australia. That's a hell of a long flight and with a baby. Yes, exactly. That's brave. And in my head, I had all these ideas of, um, you know, what it was going to be like. And uh, he just... He just cried uh, so if I tried to put him down into the cot. Um, and uh, so I keep trying to do it. And then at one point I just thought, what are you doing? Just just hold him. If he wants to be held because he's in this strange place, do it. And I just got into this little routine with him where, uh, you know, he'd sleep. Then he'd get up. I'd give him some food. Then we'd have a little play. Then I'd give him a boob feed. And then he'd fall asleep. And we'd just go on that cycle because also... I think one thing about planes is that when you get to the other end, the time is different anyway. So yeah. when you get there, yeah, it, you, you, you have to work out what you're doing time zone wise anyway. So uh, yeah, for me, when it comes to flights, it is just um, going with the flow. Also, I felt like on that Australia flight when he was crying, I thought, oh my God, everyone hates me. And I cried. Uh, and then actually when we had to change over in Dubai, three different people came over to me and said you're doing really well um you know that means so much I imagine it really does it really does um because all of a sudden you realize that people aren't against you and I'm not sure some people were a bit annoyed that there was a baby on the plane but ultimately I I was trying my best because I don't you don't want your baby to cry either like you don't you you want them to be settled because it is just not it's simply not nice no, yeah. uh, to feel like they're they're um you know screaming their head off and stuff so yeah so it was well, I think that also just kind of made me go yeah just take a breath and I, I actually I can remember before getting on that flight I had been watching this morning and uh, a woman was on there debating whether children should be even be allowed on flights and I just thought oh my god the world is made up of people like that who <laughs> who think my children just should stay in the UK all the time. Oh and, God. you know, so I thought the plane was made up of people like that. And actually, they, it wasn't. No. <laughs> it was all fine. No. <laughs> and, you know, I have to quickly ask you, um, I remember so vividly listening to your episode with Kate Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge. Yes. I was actually on my honeymoon when I listened to it. <laughs> I was lying on a balcony in the sun and I was like, holy shit, what an incredible guest. <laughs> that is like the biggest get I've ever seen. I was like looking at the podcast app. Oh my God. So how did it come about and how did it feel? Was it your most intimidating interview that you've ever done? Yes, absolutely it was. Um, so essentially, um, she does a lot of work in early years and she had this big five big questions that she wanted to launch where they were asking everyone. So it wasn't just parents, it was carers, it was people within the community, everyone um, to take part in this survey so that they could get a real uh, rounded view of um, what people felt was important in early years. And early is just is is an incredible, incredibly important stage of a child's development because essentially naught to five so many things get fixed in place. So it is a really important part of development to focus on. Uh, so she wanted to get, get this, get you know, the the survey out there. And we were looking at ways that we could use Have Mum, Have Baby to really launch that, to help them, to support it. Because ultimately, it's all about if you, you have to help the parents to help the ch- child, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, it's a thing where everyone needs to support everyone. And, um, and so we were talking about it with her team and uh, she wasn't there uh, at this point. And I was a bit like, well, you know, is there any chance that we can get Kate to be involved or Catherine or the Duchess? Uh, the Duchess is only what I would reference her as. And um, 
um, and we were like, oh, we don't know. They said, um, uh, you know, she doesn't usually do things like that. So it's a bit outside of her comfort zone. And I was like, okay, okay. And then um, they invited me along to the launch of the event. And I knew that I was going to get five minute, five minute private time with her. Uh, so she came over and we just had this. Uh, so we were in, um, uh, what was it called? Um, like a soft play center. Uh, and, um, and we were talking about what it would be like if our children were there. And I was talking about the fact that my children are quite feral. So, you know, God knows what they'd be doing. And then we were just talking about maternal mental health and everything like that. And, uh, and then, uh, so it was a really surreal situation to be in because it, it was, we were literally left alone. And literally after on the off the back of that and and a big group chat with other people that had been part of the survey, uh, I then got told that I'd get forty five minutes with her, and I was like, okay, I can we can do this. Amazing. But the, because it was about the survey as well, we were going to have experts within it. And actually, I wasn't asked for a breakdown of what I was going to be asking her about until the night before. So I just thought, well, because I could hold back, but I just thought this is the one time to actually have this conversation. So I just literally sent in a list, if it was any other podcast, what I would like to talk about. And her comms team came back and we're like, oh, we're not sure if we'll talk about this or this or this or this, but let us take this to her and see what happens. And then I heard that Prince William was in the room when she was being briefed. And he said, just answer the question, like just talk. Because if you don't want it in there, we can just edit out afterwards, but just talk. Uh, and it was the most amazing experience yeah. ever. You know, we were in the room for an hour and a half. Um, wow. uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was absolutely amazing oh. because also she's just, she's a mom. Yeah. She's just another, she's just a woman. Um, and, uh, and, and what was interesting is that after it, she spoke so amazingly about the work that afterwards I was like, we don't need the experts because actually what you're doing by putting those in is you're undermining her. You're, you're kind of saying, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So let's put these experts in where she, she clearly does. And she's so passionate um, about it. So um, yeah, so we didn't have those experts in the end. It was all all her. And you were like on Good Morning America and it just went absolutely crazy. Was it like the most <laughs> whirlwind week ever? I mean, did the podcast go mad as well? The podcast went mad. The reception to it was absolutely bonkers um, because at that point, no one had heard her speak in that way. It really humanised all... her in, and yes. made her so much more relatable. And you did such a good job of uh, really, you know, making her obviously feel so comfortable. It's really interesting how much she's done since then. Um, yeah. And I, I watch on like a proud mum uh-huh. kind of going, yes, uh, <laughs> because, you know, it must be such a big thing to step out and and to have that sort of personal element of yourself and scrutiny for anything that you say. Every Everything is a soundbite. Every single thing. So, yeah, I felt hugely privileged that she would have that chat that she would trust the the platform because we all know how great podcasts can be and I think the thing with podcasts that you don't necessarily get um outside of them is that you get the the freedom to talk you know you don't have to make everything a soundbite you know you can you know you can explain you can you can expand on topics so that things aren't taken out of context yeah yeah exactly they're more of a safe space in that way exactly today's episode is supported by airbnb It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from 
all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travelers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, moving on then. I think I might know the answer to this one. Chapter five, (laughs) your hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe my listeners don't know so much about. Well, I absolutely love Cornwall, which everyone will know about. Uh, but I have to say we have absolutely loved Cornwall before the pandemic when everyone kind of discovered it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and we do stay mostly at Watergate Bay um, oh. because, it, yeah, it's just gorgeous. Um, but last summer, well, this summer, we stayed at a new um, location called Three Mile Beach, um, which is simply amazing. It's very Scandi in its in its um, design, and uh, yeah, there's just a nice little walk down to the beach. Um, but it's essentially it's your own little house as well, which I love. I feel like when when you've got kids as well, it is that it's that it takes the stress off a little bit, knowing that firstly you ha- you're separated from everyone else, so that if they make noise, it's fine. You know, we're not there's not a wall adjoining us to somewhere else. But also uh so they could have their bedrooms and we can be sitting in the lounge or still having uh, you know going in the kitchen. Cause so many times, I mean we've done the holidays where it's all bedrooms and you know, when they go to sleep or well, it's one bedroom and when everyone goes to sleep, you just sit there and you can't make a peep because otherwise they're going to wake up. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, a, a place like Three Mile Beach, you know, you've got the freedom and actually it's so gorgeous. There's a, there, uh, there's a little tuk-tuk outside of an evening where you can go and get your sort of cocktail mixes and stuff and all your cocktails. And um, Such a good idea. So good. So I was there the week after you were there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, the Fletchers were just here. They were so nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone we met nice there, <laughs> everyone we met was so lovely and welcoming and, um, you know, everyone smiled. It's literally like you couldn't do enough. And even like simple little things, like we were looking through the brochure once once we were there and uh, and we saw that they, um, they even do like little touches, like they're a guitar. Guitars available 
if you want a guitar. It's, yeah. And we all know that when you're on a beach holiday, well, not people that don't know, don't play instruments, but when you're on a beach holiday and things like that, it's quite nice to have a guitar and, you know, be able to strum because it's quite an inspir- inspirational place to be because you've got the sea, there's be- it's nature, isn't totally. it? Nature is, um, uh, is uh, it fuels the creativity. So I can remember on that first day, just calling down and being like, uh, but it's all right to, to, uh, to ask, but is it possible? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And it's just every little thing that we asked for, um, you know, they, they delivered on and they were just simply... Um, amazing. And not forgetting Gwythian Beach as well, because I, I <sighs> so I feel like I travel quite a lot around Cornwall as well. And obviously, you know it really well, but I hadn't been to that beach before. And yeah. I was absolutely gobsmacked. It is such a stunning part of Cornwall, isn't it? It's so vast. It's so dramatic. Yeah. You can see St. Ives in the distance uh-huh. um, and the the bright green of the grass with the turquoise of the water on a sunny day in particular it really just felt like somewhere I couldn't imagine would have been in the UK exactly and months before so I had booked that earlier on in the year and then our trip so our Copperfield trek had changed from the Sahara obviously because we can't get there to Cornwall and literally weeks before yeah weeks before we were staying at Three Mile Beach I was literally walking that part of the coastal Where park towards an Ives. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's the jam pot, the little um, oh, yeah, the, cafe. the little coffee yeah. place, the little cafe um, that, that we literally walked walked in. Some of our group went in to get coffees and teas and stuff. Um, so I walked literally right past the front of, of Three Mile, amazing, and had no idea that it was actually there until until we got there later on. But it is, it's it, for me that is a, a real hidden gem. And, and even beach wise, it's it's quite quiet. Because yeah. and also because in the morning when you get there, um, the water is so far in, and uh, you know so and then when it goes out, it's just vast. vast it's yeah. it's you know and golden. There's so much and yes, so yes, yeah. proper sand to dig. Glorious, so <laughs> good for kids. Castles. I imagine it's su- such a great place and so like well stocked as well with everything you might need, like you say. Exactly, and and the thing again about Three Mile, they have um this these little uh, like trolley type things that we've never had before. So when we stay at like Watergate Bay, we have we put all of our boards under our arms and we're trying to like you know like donkeys trying to travel down there. But they have these trolleys outside the the houses that you literally bung all your stuff in and a kid if you need to <laughs> if they're whining and they don't want to do the walk. Um, and you just you know you wheel it down to the beach it's amazing Amazing. it makes life so much easier perfect staycation spot but very much in contrast to that chapter six is your worst travel experience (laughs) well I was a kid I think we were about um nine and it was our first summer doing something that wasn't Italy and um we went to Tenerife uh, which is a lovely place to go. I have to, I have to say that it is absolutely lovely. But our experience, so we, um, so I can remember it was in the days we used to go down to the travel agents and get all the brochures. So we only had a few pictures of what this place is going to be like. There was a big octopus and this water thing, and, uh, and it was absolutely beautiful. And then we got there. All we could see is the motorway, uh. which, you know, we're like, okay. And uh, and I can just remember mum and dad then having to go down to the travel agents to sort it out. Oh, but on the first day, mum and dad, everything was going wrong. And um, and we had to get food in and simple things like they'd got us eggs. Like none of us ate eggs, but they made hard-boiled eggs for us and they made us eat them, even though we really didn't want to eat them. Like just simple yeah, little yeah. things that just add up. And then the next morning we went to the travel agents to sort everything out and see if there was an alternative to where we were. 
uh, and we got there and no one came for hours and hours. like it felt like but they weren't late we just hadn't changed the clocks on our time we hadn't oh, no. noticed that we've forgotten the time <laughs> oh, difference no. uh and it just I, I can just remember the tension building of you know this is the worst holiday in existence because I'm not in the pool right now uh, and that is exactly where I should be um actually I've got to say after that it was a really good trip um we met some great people the hotel that we went to was amazing I got sunburned on the first day um <laughs> it's like that typical kid thing where you just want to be in the pool all, all the time, the time. Yeah. so then you have to wear the t-shirt of shame afterwards <laughs> but that that was uh yeah a pretty um I and I think because holidays are meant to be stress free in so many ways, but they do bring stress. You know, they absolutely do. And I think uh, for us, that was um, that was a stressful start to it. Probably as a parent now, you can look back on it and be like, "Oh, my poor parents! They must have been so stressed <laughs> yeah. out." Well, it has been so wonderful chatting to you, G. And we are now on to chapter seven, the final chapter yes. of your travel diaries, which is the destination at the top of your travel bucket list. So I have to go for a trekking location mm-hmm. um, simply because that uh, for me, those are the places that I, I, I go and I see the world in a very different way. So and actually there are three on my bucket list. I'd love to go to Kili because I feel like um, lots of trekkers go to Kilimanjaro and it is the most amazing thing. I just think that there is something about that. And, but also the flip side of that is actually I don't need to go where everyone else goes. But at some point I would like to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also love to go to Madagascar because there are some great treks that happen there. Apparently, um, you know, the animals and things that you see are meant to be amazing. The lemurs. Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Um, you should listen to Simon Reeves' episode of this podcast because he picks really? it as his all-time favourite destination and he like sort of sells it so well. It made me want to go so really? much. Yeah. Oh, the thing about a trek like that is it's just a bit longer. So you're um, asking if if I was to do it as a Copperfield trek, which is basically how I'm seeing the world now, uh, where do I want to go? Let's put that as the destination. uh, um, we should just quickly just say who Copperfield are. Good. Yeah. Oh, Copperfield are a breast cancer awareness charity um, aimed um, at everyone, but also to change the narrative around breast cancer from a much younger age. Um, the founder, Chris, um, was diagnosed with um, stage four uh, secondary breast cancer at the age of 23 um and it's uh and it's uh, making people aware of the signs and symptoms you know they're not just a lump which we would have known uh, growing up it's uh, it's dimpling it's puckering it's thickening of the breast tissue it's inverted nipple it's nipple discharge any changes that you notice on your chest on your breast and and it's you know it's up to your collarbone and under your armpit any changes that you know uh, you, you have to go and get it checked out um, because the earlier someone is diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, uh, the uh, the higher their chances of survival. So although it might sound scary, actually, it's just their their main message is to get to know your body uh, and uh, and do something about it if it changes. So it, it's not to scare people; it's literally just to say, you know, just just know what your normal is. Yeah. Um, because then, uh, you know, everything will be fine, hopefully, you know. Mm-hmm. So you want to go um, to Madagascar, hopefully, on a trek. Yes. And yes. and where was the final one? <laughs> the final one is the Appalachian Trail in America, oh. because I've just read Unlost ah, by Gail Miller. Yes. And, um, you know, she, oh, it's just like miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of um, different terrain, different landscape, uh, and the way... You know, if we all talk about these treks and stuff and, and traveling as finding yourself, then this is miles and miles and miles to do that. Like 
hundreds of miles of trekking. Um, could even be thousands, but I, definitely hundreds. Sounds beautiful i've seen i've seen photos of the appalachian trail and it's it's i think it's a bit of a also like quite undiscovered for british travelers yes and also because every um state you get to there's a different terrain so you know in different different parts of it the people that gail met along the way and everyone has a reason for being there and i mean it's definitely one of those ones that as a mum, I can't just skip out for months uh, to do the Appalachian Trail, but uh, it is definitely one that is on my bucket list and I have to be young enough to be able to actually physically do it. <laughs> um, but at some point, even if I was to do it in chunks, I feel like that is um, that's certainly bucket list kind of, I'd love to experience it. Because also just just everything around it just sounds, you know, you're completely cut off. You know, you aren't, life just isn't, you know, isn't there in the same way. And for me, that is definitely one that I would love to do. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's been absolutely lovely to chat to you, Giovanna Fletcher. Those were your travel diaries. What a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, big thank you to Giovanna. It was so lovely to hear her travel diaries and to speak to someone whose voice is so familiar as a fellow podcaster really enjoyed that Giovanna's new novel Walking on Sunshine is out now thanks so much for listening today if you are enjoying the podcast then don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week and if you really enjoyed it then if you fancy leaving a rating or a review that would be extra special if you want to find out who's joining me on next week's episode come and follow me on Instagram I'm at Holly Rubenstein would love to hear from you as always and if you can't wait till then remember there's all of the first five seasons to catch up on nearly 70 episodes to keep you busy there and don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests i always include in the episode show notes and they're also always on my website thetraveldiariespodcast.com and here's another podcast you can escape into life sentence a mag's creative original is an immersive audio journey and a powerful story of the climate crisis with jordan stevens leading an incredible cast lending their voices to it time is ticking on this one and you have to hear it to believe it <laughs>